0: So, user onboarding while it's typically considered you know at the start of the product journey really applies across the product lifecycle as you build functionality and in a world of product led today where really the companies that have the best products and the most usage and engagement are the ones that win it's really vital that companies have a method a process a system and tooling to continue to onboard users onto features uh, and continue to drive engagement adoption Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we share with you the business stories, ideas, and trends shaping the future of customer experience, told firsthand by the experts themselves in thought provoking conversations.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing.
2: And I'm Andy McMillan, CEO at User Testing.
1: And today we're very excited to have Pulkit Agrawal joining us on the Human Insight podcast. Pulkit is the co-founder and CEO of Chameleon, which helps users build great user onboarding without requiring any code. Pulkit, welcome to the show.
0: Very happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. So uh, in the US, this is Thanksgiving week where uh, many families come together to express Thanks for each other and celebrate, you know, around a meal. Um, lots of other countries, uh, celebrate this holiday as well, including Germany, Canada, Japan. Uh, and for this insight segment, uh, we asked user testing contributors who celebrate Thanksgiving in different parts of the U S, uh, what their plans were for the holiday, what they planned on eating and how they plan on spending the day. So let's hear what they said.
2: The Thanksgiving holiday is just around the corner, and we are interested in
1: how you will celebrate it and how that may be different from other areas of the U.S. So pretty much the same, we are going to be having Thanksgiving at home. So this year for Thanksgiving, I will be traveling to Maryland to celebrate with my in-laws.
2: Well, I'm going over to my sister's house, my older sister's house to celebrate Thanksgiving with my family. This year, my family will be traveling to the Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, Tennessee area, staying at an Airbnb. I really anticipate probably going to my parents' house, getting together with close
0: family.
1: What is the main dish you eat at Thanksgiving? Turkey.
0: Turkey. Uh, I love eating turkey.
2: We may do a seafood boil. It just depends on what we choose to buy, especially with inflation. Being our reality, we may do heavier hors d'oeuvres, but traditionally, turkey, lasagna, ham.
0: Um, so the main dish that we eat at Thanksgiving is um, a big uh, roasted chicken um, versus turkey.
1: Um, I make homemade rolls that has been, that recipe has been passed down in my family for uh, decades. Collard greens,
2: field peas. Oh, and chitterlings. I do not cook chitterlings, but my mother does. Eggnog. I love drinking eggnog. Eggnog is delicious. So I would say that eggnog. Every time I
1: I drink eggnog or I look at eggnog in the supermarket, I think of Thanksgiving. Cornbread dressing. Um, We also love mac and cheese.
2: We do eat like uh, sometimes uh, my sister will make like uh, empanadas. I don't know if any of ours are regionally uh, unique, but I mean, I do. there's a cornbread pudding that's really good and I thoroughly enjoy that. So maybe that could be unique to my family. I don't know if it's regionally unique because I haven't
0: really seen someone actually eat it. Um,
1: We do um, other traditional, it's called twist up. We do um, seven up mixed with cranberry juice, an equal mix, and we call it twist up. Um, And for desserts, we definitely love sweet potato pie. You know, we just come together as a family and, you know, sit down together and eat together and stuff like that.
2: Um, we
1: watch the Macy's Day Parade. We play family games pretty much all day, which is really fun. Um, as well as
0: participating in any type of uh,
1: shopping or Black Friday deals that are going on, whether in store or
2: online. We just spend a lot of hours laughing and talking and playing games. You know, then you kind of loosen the belt a little bit, um, watch some football, and you know, I'm usually by seven o'clock. Most people are ready to fall asleep and go home.
1: Uh, here in Maine, where I'm based, uh, my family has a recipe for green bean casserole that tends to be a hit. Uh, Polka, if you plan on to celebrate Thanksgiving, what what are your plans?
0: Yeah, so, so I didn't grow up with the culture of Thanksgiving. I grew up in the UK, um, and so it's been, in, in a way, nice to have an extra celebration, an extra festival, extra days off. Um, I have recently moved to the East Coast, near closer to my wife's family, and so I think we'll have a big family-oriented Thanksgiving, which um, will be kind of Indian-inspired in some ways. But we have some favorites uh, that we'll make, um, this really tasty jalapeno cheddar cornbread, that's a big hit. Um, and maybe some extra buttery mashed potatoes and maybe pumpkin cheesecake. So trying to get into the spirit uh, of fall, as we say here, you know, I would say autumn. Um, but, yeah, kind of looking forward to, to the Thanksgiving uh, celebrations.
1: I love that. I'll have uh, the, the jalapeno cheddar cornbread s- sounds amazing. I've, I've got to look into that. Um so, uh, hey, congratulations. You just recently raised 13 million in series A funding. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the challenge you're addressing today with your company Chameleon and even maybe some history of, of what the market was like, um, back in 2015 when you started?
0: Yeah, absolutely. From one tasty subject to the next. Um, so we, uh, when we first started, um, Chameleon, we really, felt the need personally, um, my co-founder Brian and I, uh, struggled to ha- learn new software, not because <laughs> maybe they weren't, we weren't so smart, but we had to read documentation and watch videos. I remember Asana was one of the, the prime examples where they have an amazing help center, but you have to go back and forth a lot to learn how to set up this tool. So we're like, wait, why isn't this easier? Is everyone having to expend all this energy? And so it, the product initially came to solve a user onboarding pain point, and that still is really predominant because... Of course, user onboarding is so critical, not just in activation but long-term retention of users. But what we've seen over time is that there are elements of user onboarding across the product lifecycle. So when you introduce a new feature, you build something new and you want to convey value to your users, you're essentially doing some user onboarding onto that feature. And if you don't, that feature won't get adoption, activation, retention, and won't be part of the reason why customers stick around. So user onboarding, while it's typically considered you know, at the start of the product journey, really applies across the product lifecycle as you build functionality. And in a world of product-led today, where really the companies that have the best products and the most usage and engagement are the ones that win, it's really vital that companies have a method a process, a system and tooling to continue to onboard users onto features uh, and continue to drive engagement adoption. So that's a summary. I mean, I'm happy to talk about this as much as you like.
2: Well, uh, one of the things that uh, the funding announcement highlighted that I thought was really interesting and something that that we see quite a bit of as well, is that now more than 50% of SaaS companies leverage usage-based pricing now as part of their model. Uh, I think this is great. I, I always have felt like the initial shift of the cloud sort of de-risked the deployment of the software, but now we're really getting to a place where we're de-risking that people actually use the software and sort of get value from from being in the software. So when we think about that model shift to a usage-based pricing model where companies not only have to Sell the solution, but make sure people get on the solution and use it. Um, what does that mean in terms of the importance of onboarding? Um, and and kind of what is and what is not onboarding in, in your mind?
0: Yeah, I think it's great that we're moving to this model because it, you know, the proof is in the pudding. We're going to continue with our food theme. Um, so, you know, the before what could happen is you get sold a piece of software um, and it was happened through a sales process. It could be relationship based and then the individual consumers of that software, especially in a business setting, were lumped with having to learn it and they were forced to use it. But now we're moving to this kind of more consumer-oriented model where I can just start using software without even having to buy it. So I try it out, I use it. If I like it, then I put my credit card down. And if in any month I decide this didn't fulfill my needs or I discover an alternative, I can pretty much switch to the other. And that's just the model we're moving towards, which is a very consumer-oriented model. We're all buyers of software in our private lives as we look at apps where we're, we're assess as we evaluate is this good does this work do i like the ux and we can apply the same insights into our business software. So in that world, as companies do move to usage-based pricing, usage and engagement are absolutely fundamental to success. Um, And we, in some ways, think about it, you know, in the old ways of a revenue center, where if you can drive usage, you can drive revenue. And it's not a cost center where you have to support users in their learning and training and reduce their tickets. And so in that world it is critical that people learn software quickly they get understand the features quickly they get to value quickly now product teams are responsible for core value creation they're thinking about which features to build how it's going to solve the needs of the market but there also needs to be a function around delivering and communicating value in you know that could, In a world of old could have been customer success you're doing one-on-one calls talking to people about features but what is that in the world of today where people are you know it's all scaled tech touch self-service real-time you need a model where you're delivering those those value and and it can be inside of the product so that's why i think this idea of user onboarding or product-led growth um, and doing it inside of the product is is more relevant than it's ever been and, and will continue to become that way
1: That's a nice segue to our second insights video. So we asked uh, contributors on the user testing network who work across a range of industries from education to accounting to even engineering um, about the importance of onboarding. And what I found fascinating about this segment is that they actually knew what the word onboarding meant, which uh, could be, uh, I just think it's a a really interesting, um, you know, pivot. I don't know, pivot uh, or... I guess the common person understanding what onboarding is seems sort of like we have making some progress in this <laughs> in this sort of effort to uh, uh, bring people along with uh, learning how to use new software and, and uh, creating uh, ways to engage them regularly. So let's listen to uh, what they said. If you have a bad experience with an onboarding, you know, a tool, then, you know, you're going to have people not use it if it's not easy understandable then you're they're not going to use it so it's not going to help you achieve your goal because even now i've been working with the platform for almost two months um even now i'm still finding out that i don't know how to do everything (laughs) and i have to go and do a lot of research um, to figure out what I need to do
0: next. I don't really want to go to a knowledge base, like a bunch of articles. Um, I feel that's a bit lazy. Even videos are lazy. Like I feel like software should be more interactive when you're on, being onboarded, giving you tips, especially if it's your first time. Or I enjoy apps that when it's been a long time since you've been back, they give you reminders again. That's definitely handy because uh, you forget all the shortcuts and things like that.
1: They don't want to go looking. They don't want to. They want to do as little as possible to get their thought, to get their process done. So if you make it as seamless as possible, then you'll have more people using
0: Sometimes you're on a trial, and if you don't even have a good experience in the trial, you won't even sign up for the first contract.
1: I feel like a bad experience with something is long lasting. And that would create a negative opinion of the company and the person, which once you have that negative opinion, it usually becomes widespread and people begin sharing it. So it is important to have that initial positive experience. So uh, it looks like uh, they agreed with you, Polkit, around some of your points around the importance of making it easy for people to quickly understand uh, how to use the product. I also loved the the comment around... Um, The notion that all of this information lives in a knowledge base somewhere, but they don't want to go back and forth between the product and the knowledge base, which I can wholeheartedly agree with. Um, Or at least, you know, I have felt that before as well. So any other thoughts about the clip uh, that that, um, you noticed as we watched?
0: Yeah, these are my people. (laughs) I, I get it. Like, I also... Don't like to have to read documentation it's one of the reasons we started Chameleon. But, you know, I think there's a couple of interesting things that I picked up there is, you know, people are interested in learning about software, in learning about features and figuring out how they solve your needs. But there is a activation energy. There's a hump to go and read documentation. So sometimes all you need is a, a little nudge or a prompt at the right time to be the gateway into learning more. And and the learning more can be reading a document or watching a video. We're not discrediting or, you know, removing those channels, but it's just about how can we deliver that at the right time in the product to help people access it? So that I thought was a, is an interesting thing that companies should think about. And another thing that someone, it was almost like someone gave, you know, gave a cheat, cheat sheet here. But one of the, you know, that you ask your users, they tell you, they tell you where they struggle, right? So, um, one of the things was around re-onboarding. It's you don't use a product for a long time. You come back to it. You know, you're essentially a new user, but with some, some stale context. And so you need onboarding again. Now, in a traditional sense, no, you're not new to the product. You've used it before, but in a real sense, in a user experience, experience sense, you do need some re-onboarding. So um, I think that was some good good insights in that video, and, and hopefully everyone's asking their users about onboarding and, and learning more and applying those about applying those insights.
2: Yeah, I, I think those are great insights. Uh, it's funny that maybe the food is on my mind with the food theme, but it, it sounds also a lot of the tricks I'm trying to do with my six-year-old to get her to try new things. There's sort of the right moment, and then sort of the nudge, and then you want the habit forming, and uh, it's a it's not easy. Maybe I need to think about onboarding her to, to new foods is maybe the way I should uh should approach this problem. And one of the things that, that that uh you talk about that I think uh maybe applies to both these situations is you talk about um creating a friction log. This idea of um you know, how do you help improve onboarding and change behavior? Um uh, could you talk a little bit about what is a friction log and then how can you use a friction log to improve onboarding?
0: Yeah, so so the how, I can, I'll describe the mechanics of a friction log, but if I think about what it really, what's the soul of a friction log, it's, it's going away from a chart and a funnel of like where there are problems and going to the emotion of a user, of where there are problems. So essentially, what you're doing in a friction log is going through a flow, and you're charting or documenting, writing in a Google Doc or whatever doc, just what is happening, but also what you're feeling and how you're feeling about it. And then afterwards, you'll go through and you'll highlight in simple red, you know, traffic like red, green, yellow, um, where you were feeling really frustrated, and if it if you didn't have to do this, you would have bounced, and where you were feeling delighted about what something, you know, you know, the thing, the experience you you had, and. So So when you do this friction log and maybe as a tip for companies, when you have new employees joining, we we at Chameleon have them create friction log of the product so that every time we get that fresh new perspective of what is it like to go through key flows in the product. But what you get these documents, what you see is these areas of red or maybe yellow, maybe you don't have any, your product's great, but you'll see some areas where there's frustration from a user and that's where you can narrow in. And so when you're trying to improve onboarding, what you're not trying to do is, hey, let me give everyone a a walkthrough of our product or a walkthrough of every feature. You know, what that's akin to is here's a manual. Hey, I just just gave you a snazzy manual to read before you actually play with the thing that you purchased. So, you know, instead of that, what we're going to do is go really narrow, really specific, where is there friction? Where is their frustration? And how can we overcome that friction and frustration? Now, some of that might be underlying changes in the UI, but some of it might be a lack of understanding about a key term. Like what is this new term that I've come across? Now I have to go Google and figure out what is this term. So you can have a little tooltip there. Or it's like I'm trying to do something or I have to make a decision between two options, but I don't have all the information to make a good decision. So now I'm confused. And do I, you know, I'll come back to that. So maybe I can get some additional information at that time. So the idea behind friction logs is to make it, Crystal clear where there's frustration from an emotional perspective, and tune into that when you're improving your onboarding or creating in-product experiences. Do you have an
2: I uh, an example, maybe, Polkit of a fun or interesting thing that you've learned from a friction log? Like when you tell folks about this uh, in your company or elsewhere, we're sort of like, let me give you an interesting example of like something you wouldn't have expected that we learned in a friction log process.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's super specific to the context, but I, I can give you one from my context. So we Chameleon has a sandbox environment where you can go and play with our product. And the way Chameleon works, you have to install the code in your code base. And then that way you can show these experiences to your users, but you don't have to do any of that to try the product. You just go into the sandbox, We own it. And so what we learned from the friction log was that actually the sand... So we have a dummy application in the sandbox for you to play and build experiences for. And people were getting confused and lost in this application. And that was completely unintended for us. This was just like a dummy app. We didn't think too much of it. But they were going down rabbit holes in the app and not not engaging with our actual product. And so then we we, we simplified it. And we said, okay, we're not going to have a dummy application. We're going to have a simple page. We're going to literally put a white page uh, with some text and elements. And like, okay, now you build chameleon experiences on this page instead of this like more sophisticated you know application. So I think any kind of user testing, of course, will help in- uncover some of this. But a friction log is just Another way to, to add a kind of a layer onto it that's a bit more structured.
2: Yeah, I like it. It's uh it's a great concept, and it's sort of easy to, to get your arms around. Like I think most people can understand that idea of a of a friction log. And I can definitely think through things we've done even in our own product, both for our contributors, you know, the people that give feedback, we're constantly trying to make that experience as easy as possible. And you find these little interesting moments where people are like, oh, actually that just got too hard. And it doesn't always take that much for somebody to go do something else. I mean, every, the whole world is a click away these days. So you really have to sort of keep people focused. So I think that's helpful. Thank you. Well,
0: one other thing I'll say is, um, something that can, easy to ha- wrap your, your arms around as well as when people are building user onboarding, they can think of the concept of an ad- adoption bug, which is, Okay. Where is there an issue in a driving adoption? And the goal of that is to think again, very specific and be very focused. And you can delineate very different, you know, separately the different adoption bugs someone has. And so if you can think about those adoption bugs, then you can tackle and solve those one at a time rather than trying to solve the whole thing with one experiment or with one change or with one flow.
2: Yeah. I think that's right. And I think thinking about that across different kinds of users. I always have in mind that, you know, my, I'm a, uh, I, I always like to have like the V one beta of iOS installed on my phone because I sort of enjoy the change. And my wife's sort of the other end of the spectrum. I always amazed when, uh, I get upset when she's like three years behind on updating iOS. I'm like, there may be a security update in here. We should. So it's, again, very different points of friction of like what would drive a change in behavior for me, it's that it's different. And for her, it's that it's, you know, that it's not different. So I think that's a really interesting way to think about that too, It's sort of a friction log sort of by different kinds of personas and different motivating factors. Um, really, really interesting concept.
1: Yeah, it actually is an interesting kind of segue into this next question, because, you know, one of our favorite words at user testing is why. We're always, you know, not just uh, curious about what people are doing, but we're trying to understand what's driving their behavior, um, you know, what we can do better to make the experience better. And a lot of that comes down to really understanding the why behind the behavior, um, and it seems like this plays a big role in what you're focused on as well. Um, and I think you also say that companies should focus on the why and not just the how or what with, with onboarding. So can you share a little bit about your perspective there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So w- w- there's a professor of persuasive technology at Stanford called BJ Fogg, and he has this model which defines how why people act. Why do they do anything? Um, and maybe it's simple, but he has two axes. One is um, motivation, and one is ability. So you, ha- in within that chart, there is a line, and that line is I think called the trigger trigger line. And so above that line is the space where there's enough motivation and sufficient ability that triggers cause people to act. Below the line means that there isn't sufficient motivation or ability for people to act. And so the, the takeaway is that it, for people to do stuff like take actions in your product, there is a combination of motivation and ability. It's not all about how to do something. It's not all about solving for ability. It's also solving for why you should do something. It's solving for motivation. And so you have to solve for motivation. And if you can drive up motivation, you will unlock some of the problems you have in the product around ability or confusing UX. And I give an example of and maybe this is showing my age of like the Snapchat early days um, where it was a really confusing UX to, you know, the Snapchat. It was like very, It was like the, the navigation was confusing. Uh, it wasn't really straightforward, but there was really strong motivation. And so people figured it out. Like it didn't matter that the UX was confusing. So when teams are thinking about improving onboarding and they're hung up on their UX, I always tell them like, hey, that's okay. You can fix that, but don't let that stop you because you can always introduce more motivation. And, and some of that can just be social proof, or promise of reward, or case studies, and just simple ways to help people know what is ahead of them if they do a little bit more work. Um, And it also ties into this other trend that we're seeing, which is that Marketing is because, is flowing into the product because of again usage-based pricing coming full circle here. You have to keep convincing people about the value, and you have to keep showing them value, and they're not going to have all of that figured out before they enter your product. The decision isn't made; they're still evaluating as they're using, and so that marketing has to drip in. And what is marketing? Marketing is all about showing, explaining the value and the benefits of something, and so um, we it's we encourage our t- our customers when they're thinking about user onboarding, not just to. Focus focus on showing people how to do stuff, but also starting with helping in- encourage them about why they should be thinking about that. Why should they care? And that will also unlock some of the benefits of, uh, of uh, user onboarding.
1: Yeah, I love that. And the Snapchat story is interesting in particular. I don't know if you remember, but I, and I can, by the way, I can relate with that because I think I was probably just like a little too old to be adopting Snapchat, and I tried, and I couldn't figure out how to do it, and I didn't have enough motivation to figure it out, so I didn't adopt it. Um, but many people did. And then I think it was a year or two into their existence, and people had figured out how to move around the UI, even though it was confusing. They went and redesigned the entire thing. I don't know. Did you ever catch this sort of um, news on the news? So they redesigned it, so people had to go learn the a whole new way of using the product, um, and they saw a whole bunch of like user attrition. Basically, a bunch of people just dropped it. It was sort of like, okay, yeah, maybe we're not ready to learn uh, your your second version of really hard to use <laughs> UI. Um.
0: Also, no one really wants to, no one's goal is to learn how to use software. Like that's, no one cares. It's just a means to an end, right? And if you're, if the end is, hasn't improved, then doing a redesign, like you have to show value quickly. And if you don't, then it's just a bunch of work for no reward. So why would they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to move into the lightning round. So this is a series of questions that we ask everyone on the podcast. Um, so could you share a, Book that you've recently read uh, that you'd recommend to our listeners.
0: Um, I, I mean, I've, I've been reading a Stephen Gerard autobiography, so that's probably not going to be super relevant because it's a footballer that I, in a team that I support. But a book, two books that I recommend. Um, one one work related, I think it's really interesting. It's called Nudge. Uh, and it's all about choice architecture. It's just it's about how do you frame choices, and it's relevant for anyone that cares about UX, product, software, because that's there. You know, it's all about your users making choices, and so how do you frame them in an interesting way? And they, you know, use a lot of real world examples around it. Um, fascinating book. And then another really cute one that's not well known is David Livingston Siegel. And it's a really short, modern fable, tiny book, very cute about the power of um, imagination, the power of, uh, you know, pushing yourself and breaking outside of your comfort zone and exploring new boundaries. And it's a wonderful story about a seagull. So there you
2: go.
1: Oh, that sounds, that does sound cute. I want to, I want to look into that. Um, do you have a piece of advice that you would give to someone trying to convince others to invest in customer feedback?
0: I think if someone is trying to convince someone else to invest in customer feedback, they're kind of, they're kind of starting from the wrong place, I think a little bit. I think you have to start from the problem and understand, like, you know, the customer feedback is one means to a solution, but ask, you know, be, be like, okay, what is the thing that they care about, that your audience cares about, that the person you're trying to convince cares about? Um, and if you can connect, what they care about with the fact that customer feedback will help get them to where they're going. I think that would be helpful. So I think sometimes, you know, it's not about like improving research. It's not about, you know, that's just a means it's about improving product. It's about improving business success. So, you know, aligning back to the the business goal and then showing how feedback can help will will be one way that they can try.
1: Yeah, that's very wise uh, advice. Uh, So I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, and uh, when you think about the future of onboarding, uh, the onboarding experience, I guess you could say, um, what are you most excited about?
0: I think one of the things that's really exciting is the ability to do real-time, automated, dynamic user experience, um, which if we think about software today, it's very static in the way that you and I, we sign up for a piece of software, we see the same thing. It's the same architecture, same navigation. Um and actually we might be coming from very different contexts and have very different ambitions and intents. And and so but in the future as we have more and more data being collected and maybe it's in your data warehouse and more and more of that coming out and being available for products like Chameleon or others to change user experience on the fly, I think what we can do is is get to a place where it's very personal. The thing that I see is very relevant to the thing that I care about. The thing that you see is very relevant to the thing you care about. So um, that's the thing that I think one of the things that I'm excited about in the future of onboarding. But generally, the whole market is getting better. Everyone is learning more about user experience, about growth design, about product-led growth. So I think as consumers, there's a better future ahead of us where we don't have to go and do all the effort of learning learning new software
1: great thanks so much pulkit this was awesome we covered a lot of ground everything from uh onboarding to uh friction logs to uh food um so thank you so much for for joining us it was it was great to have you here
2: yeah i really enjoyed the conversation great insight so thank you
0: my pleasure i love talking about this time this stuff so uh anytime Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, please share it with a friend or coworker. If you think it could have been better, let us know. Email us at podcast at usertesting.com. Thanks.